Good morning, Journey Church. Hey, before we get started this morning, we want to celebrate last weekend uh, with you guys. I hope you had a chance to celebrate uh, Easter with us. It was a tremendous weekend, and uh, we had over eight people give their lives to to Jesus uh, through our four services. So we're stoked about that. We got to celebrate with seven people going public uh, with their faith in baptism, and uh, just short of 1,300 people celebrated Easter with us uh, throughout the weekend. So thank you guys. Uh, for making that possible. You guys serving, a lot of you guys stepped up and served in areas maybe you had never served before, and so those lives impacted uh, were because of you and because of what, what you did and the, and the fact that, that you continue to give of your time and your resources. So thank you uh, for partnering with us and allowing us to minister to so many people over that weekend. And hey, last week Pastor Mike started a series called Community, and so we're going to continue that this week. And as we do, I have a confession to make to you guys. I love technology. Right, that, that's my confession. I love technology. It started at an early age when, when I was seven or eight years old and I got something called a Nintendo. Did you guys, anybody have the original Nintendo? So, so I got that and I was a curious kid and so naturally I wanted to know how it worked and so I may or may not have taken it apart multiple times just to see what was inside of there. And then it escalated to the fact they could fit a Nintendo inside of a handheld device and I got a Game Boy and my love for technology continued to increase. Somewhere around the age of 9 or 10, I got my first computer, and it was the size of a house. You know what I'm talking about? Man, it was huge. The, the box of it was about, about this long. It was about, about this high, and it had this huge monitor on it that only showed the color green for some reason. And I remember plugging it up the first time and digging into it, and it, it, it comes on, and all you have is a C-prompt, right? It's, it's, just, it's just DOS. It's MS-DOS. And so I, I bought MS-DOS for dummies because I had no idea what I was doing. So we went to the bookstore, we bought that, I began to, to flip through it, and I began to type in all of these codes, and when I would type in a code, if I entered it right, and I hit enter, then stuff would begin to happen in the computer. And sometimes you could put in the right code, and all of a sudden, it would pop up the shape of a dinosaur, right? That's life-changing. And so that would pop up, and I also had something called a dot matrix printer. And I don't remember if y'all remember that, but, but it's printer paper with holes on the side of it. You know what I'm talking about? It's just one long, continuous string of computer paper. And I would hit print, and it would print out the dinosaur, print out whatever I've been typing on or working on. And then you had to tear it perfectly. 
right? You had to work on it and you would go as slow as you could possibly go or, or maybe, maybe your deal was you went as fast as you could and you would hope that it wouldn't tear into the paper because then you'd have to do it all over again. And listen, if you had gone off of that screen, you had to type in a code that sometimes was this long all over again. If you entered a slash forward that was meant to be backwards, it didn't work, right? It would just go error. <laughs> it, it was horrible, right? But through that, I fell in love with technology. Let them begin to advance. We got, we got another computer with Windows, right? Which changed the world and, and we had fun stuff like Microsoft Works and all that. And through that, I just, I, I began to love technology. I, I love how it works. I love how convenient it is. I love the way that it's changed my life. Listen, it has literally changed our world. In the last 20 years, we have advanced probably faster than at any point of the history of mankind. And it's due to the rise in technology. Uh, several years ago, in the early 2000s, there was a group of friends that decided to get together and use the technology of the day to make a movie. And they were shocked by how successful the movie became. And in the movie, there is a guy named Napoleon. And Napoleon's just going throughout his life. And, and he's kind of a weird guy. And he's living throughout, he's living his life. He, he does some fun stuff, like he helps a guy run for class president, and he falls in love for the first time with a girl with a bad hairstyle. Maybe, maybe you've seen it. And, and he, he, he has a bike. He takes it off sweet jumps, right? It's just a really fun, idiot-proof movie. And they made it, literally, with just a couple of devices. And again, they were shocked when it all happened. But the most interesting guy in the movie, to me, is a guy named Kip. And Kip is Napoleon's brother, and Kip loves technology. And in fact, he probably loves technology more than I do, and he loves it so much that if you watch the movie all the way through and you watch it into the credits, he sings a song that he wrote, supposedly to his wife, but it's about technology. And it's a song that will get stuck in your head. Listen, no one should ever listen to it, because if you listen to it, you will never forget it. But the Bible tells us that we're to suffer together. And since I've heard it, I want you guys to hear it too. And so here is Kip singing his song that he wrote about technology. Yes, I love technology, but not as much as you, you see. But I still love technology. Alright guys, he, he set a standard that's gonna be hard for you to live up to, right? This guy loves technology way beyond anything that, any love that I'll ever have for it. Listen, I do love technology. I, I, I think it's fun to walk through Best Buy. Literally, if my wife and I are hanging out and she wants to do something nice for me, she will go, do you want to go walk around Best Buy? I enjoy technology. I like the advances. I love when new phones come out. I appreciate when new iPads come out and computers make advancements. I love that. But listen, I also hate it. I love technology, but at the same time, I hate it. I hate the fact that, that I'm consumed by it. I hate the fact that I seem to be dependent on it. And I hate the time that, that I'm almost unable to stop my desire to turn to it. Maybe you've been there, you stop at a red light and you get bored within three seconds waiting for the light to change and your phone is sitting next to you and so you just pick it up and you start doing something mindless. You're scrolling through Facebook. Look, I hate the fact that I feel like I should always be responded because I know that I'm always connected. People know that when they send me an email that I see it because I have this device in my hand 
all the time, and they know that if it goes through, that I get a notification. It's the same in your life. I get a notification that says, so-and-so has sent you an email. I hate the fact that I feel like I should respond to that immediately or I'm being a bad leader. Look, I hate the fact that when I go on vacation, at least once a day I'm checking my email. I hate the fact that when I'm sitting at home trying to enjoy a movie or hang out with my family, that somehow or another my phone ends up in my hand and I'm scrolling Facebook or Instagram. But I love technology, but at the same time, I hate the way that it's affected my life. I, I, I don't really appreciate the fact that it seems to be controlling my life. And look, I've seen it to be true, not just in my life, but in your lives as well. Since we hang out with people, it's become almost, uh, almost commonplace to go to dinner with someone and for the three or the four of you to hang out at a table and to talk for a few minutes. And then a few minutes later, everybody's phone is out and you're comparing memes, right? You're sitting on the couch or you're sitting at dinner with somebody that you love and you're going, hey, hey, check this out, right? This is funny, right? Look at this. And the whole time we could just be having a conversation with one another, right? But we're on Instagram or we're on Facebook and we're doing things that would distract us from one another. Look, every day there's a new app or a program that comes out that promises to meet our needs or to make our life better. We're bombarded by news and information. We're busy but bored. We're full but empty. We're connected but lonely. And social media has conditioned us to crave the approval of others, but to avoid living our lives with them. And so we will put something on social media. Look, and we will constantly go back to see who is like that. And we will play games in our mind. We will go, I always like their stuff. I wonder why they don't like mine. Right? I like all of their pictures of their kids and their kids aren't nearly as attractive as mine. Why are they not, why are they not liking the pictures that I put up? Right? I don't, I don't like this. Why did they not like that post that I made? And then we think that people are posting about us. You know what I'm talking about? They, they make a post and you go, I know that's about me. I know they're posting that about me and it will, it will control our lives. I have something freeing to tell everybody in the room. People generally aren't thinking about you. Right? They're not thinking about you. They're not posting about you. They're probably just making a post and maybe it just hit a little, a little too close to home. But look, social media has, it's conditioned us to crave the approval of other people. I, I heard a podcast recently, uh, that someone had shared with me and it said that, that Facebook has determined a way to keep you to coming back to, to constantly checking. And so what they will do is, say you post a picture, and ten people like it, they will reveal to you five of those likes and they will slowly release to you the other five so that you're constantly coming back. Man, I wonder why only five people have have liked my picture and then ten minutes later another one pops up and, and ten minutes later another one and another one and we're conditioned to keep coming back and we're conditioned, listen, to crave the approval of people that, that we probably don't know and certainly people that we do not live life with. Look, we were not created for lights. We were created for community. We were created for community, and life is better when it's lived in community with others. In fact, community was so important to the early church and to the early believers that when Jesus ascended to heaven, what we find them doing is living in community with one another. The the first thing we see is that they're praying in a room, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes and And what we refer to in Christianity as Pentecost happens, and the Holy Spirit empowers people to share the gospel. And about 3,000 people in one day are added to the faith, and then we just see the church doing community together. Well, they don't have a great campaign. They're not going out canvassing doors. They're just doing life together. They're living in community with one another. Acts chapter 2 puts it this way. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to the fellowship and to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Those verses teach us a few things that are going to be true if we're going to live in community. And God's call and God's desire for your life and for my life, even to this day, 2,000 years later, is not to seek the approval of others, but it's to live in community with other people who have the same beliefs and the same desires for life that you have. And that being the belief that Jesus was uh, crucified for your sins, that He was buried, and then He rose again. And if we're going to live in community, there's some things that are going to be true of us. And living in community will always require me to be content with who I am and what I have. Living in community will always require you to be content with who you are and what you have. We're living in a world where we seem to compare everything. Right? We're, we're scrolling social media. Maybe before we go to bed at night or or maybe when we get up in the morning, or maybe when we should be working, and it's pulled up on our, commu- our computer, and, and we're scrolling through it, and we see a friend that's at the beach for the fifth time this year. <laughs> and you're like, man alive, how many vacations can they afford to take? And all of a sudden, you're comparing your life to theirs. Right? Or we see someone who's made a purchase of a new home, and we go, man, I really, I really wish we were in a state to, to buy a new home. I wish that was us. I wish I had a home like that, or or we see a husband that has surprised his wife, listen, not with a box of chocolates, but with a car. <laughs> and you're going, man, I wish my husband would surprise me with a car, right? I just settle for flowers, that's all I get. And she's over here, she's over here getting a car, and you're posting pictures of flowers, and there's somebody going, I wish my husband would bring me flowers, right? And it's a never-ending cycle of comparison. And when we compare ourselves to other people, contentment automatically goes out the window. In fact, jot this down. There's no way to win when we compare ourselves to someone else. Comparison is a trap. There is absolutely no way that you will ever win. You will either, you will end your comparison thinking, I'm better than they are and being prideful, or either you will end your comparison going, man, I wish I had their life. And what we're doing is we're comparing our everyday normal life to the highlight reels of other people. But people aren't putting on social media, I'm, I'm washing the dishes, right? They're not doing that. They're putting on social media when they're at Ruth's Chris or there's some fancy steakhouse. That's not everyday life, right? We have the ability to filter everything. We can make things look the way that we want them to look, and we make our life look the way that we want it to look, and it's not true at all. And so we end up being jealous of a life that doesn't exist. We see the life that they think they are, excuse me, the life that they portray they have and the life that we think they have, and we go, I wish I had that life. Listen, I got news for you. They wish they had that life too. They wish they had that life. That's why they're putting it out in front of everybody. Listen, last week, my daughter got, got baptized, and so that was a fun, <clears throat> a fun experience. And a little bit of her attitude came out that you guys could not see. And she was standing on the stairs waiting to come down. And so I invited her into the water, and she got to the last step and then just stood there. And I looked back at her, and uh, her mom came out for just a second. And she goes, like, what do you want me to do? 
And so I reached my hand over, I pulled her on in. It was a fun moment after that point, right? After that point. And so I go to baptize her. She literally throws herself back. She kind of baptized herself. And I just make sure she goes all the way under. But it's a fun moment. And some friends sent me some pictures of it. And I thought, you know, I want to share this moment with the rest of the world. I want you guys to be able to brag as much as I do. And so I said, I want to share this with everybody because I know you're as excited about my life as I am. And so I'm going to put it on social media. So I pull it up on Instagram. And you know, the first thing I do is I go, I don't really like the lighting of that picture. And so I scroll down to the bottom and I start going through filters. And I go, yeah, I don't like that one either. And I scroll over to another and I go, I don't like that one. And I hit one I go, yeah, I kind of do like that one. But then I go, but there may be one better, right? That's a little more impressive. So I scroll over a little more and, and I keep picking. And then I end up back at the one. So five minutes later, I finally pick a filter and then I pop it up on social media. And you know what I did is I shared an event that happened, but I shared it in a way it didn't happen. Right? That's what we do. That's what social media does. And then, then when we do that, or when other people do that, we tend to look at it and we go, Oh, man, I wish I had that. Right? I wish my marriage was that way. Or I wish I had enough money to take that many vacations. Or I wish our family was as happy as their family seems to be. And the truth of the matter is, there's a filter over all of it. Over all of it. We don't have to compare ourselves to other people, we can simply be satisfied with the life that God has chosen to give us and the way that we choose to live it. Paul said this in Philippians. He said, I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. So Paul said, listen, whether I've had more than I need... Whether I've been well off, or at one point he was even wealthy. So whether I've been wealthy, or whether I've not even had anything to eat, he said, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is saying, look, I know, I know how to live life. Look, this doesn't mean that you can catch a pass or hit a baseball. Right? I love the fact that the verse gets out through sports. This means that whatever situation I find myself in in life, I can be content because I know that I can do anything because there's a Savior who loves me and conquered death and conquered the grave. Look, I can do all things. Whether life is really good or whether it's really bad or whether it's somewhere in between, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And when we choose to envy other people, we lose that battle. This is the easiest way to battle envy is to celebrate the blessings of others. The opposite of contentment is envy, and if I want to battle envy in my life, then I begin to celebrate with other people. Look, it ain't easy to do, right? Someone gets a promotion that <clears throat> that you think you should have gotten. You walk up to them and you go, "Man, I'm so I'm so happy for you, right? I'm proud for you. I'm excited for you. You're going to do really good at this job." Somebody takes a great vacation, and and in your mind you're going, "Man, alive! How did they afford that?" But listen, what you choose to do is you go, "Lord, I thank you that they're able to enjoy time together right now." Look, it is a battle within your mind that you must win. If you don't conquer envy in your life, you will never be satisfied with anything that you have. And so I choose, you choose to be content with what we've been given. Last week I was <coughs> having a conversation with a friend of mine who was a member of the first church that I pastored, and he went through a, a really difficult time early in his life. In his early 20s, he went through a situation that hopefully none of you guys will, will ever go through, and uh, within the period of a year, he was married, and then uh, within a period of six months, he lost his wife to, to cancer after they had been married, and, 
And through that, God got a hold of him and began to, to change his heart to the point, at some point, he sat in my office and he prayed. He prayed to accept Christ. And from that point, we, we, we built a friendship. And God has blessed him since then. And he's blessed his business. And he's, he's blessed him with material things. And he's blessed him with a lovely family. And he's blessed him in a lot of ways. And, and God had just blessed him with something great this past week in his life. And I'm talking to him. And, and I end our conversation by going, man, I just want you to know I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And I'm proud for you. And he stopped and he goes, man, I just don't feel like I deserve any of this. I just feel like I don't deserve it. And my response was, you don't. (laughs) Man, you absolutely don't. According to Scripture, the only thing that any of us deserve, listen, is death and hell. But thank goodness, through, through the gift of Jesus Christ, we experience eternal life. And everything else that we get to experience is just an added bonus. And so everything that you have, listen, you absolutely do not deserve it. You don't deserve it, but God has chosen to bless you with it anyway. And when we choose to view things as a blessing, we become grateful for what we have, regardless of the situation that we're in. And when I'm okay with myself, and when I'm okay with my life, I'm ready to allow other people to see who I really am. And living in community will always require me to experience real intimacy. It's a requirement. You will always have to open up and allow people to see parts of you that you really don't want them to see. It's about letting down the guard. It's about taking the filter off and allowing people to see who you really are. There was an intimate moment that Jesus shared with his disciples. And it involved some things that the early church was doing in this passage in Acts. So one of the most intimate things that you could do at this point in history was to share a meal together. And so the early church is doing that on a consistent basis. In fact, on a daily basis, they're hanging out, they're building relationships, they're sharing meals together. Right before the death of Jesus, he's sharing a meal with the people closest to him, being his disciples. And they gather in an upper room, and Jesus takes a basin of water and a cloth, and he begins to go around to each disciple, and he begins to to wash their feet. And to you, that might seem kind of gross, but it might seem also kind of ordinary. Right? We live in a point in history where our feet are usually covered up. Right? We have socks on. Hopefully you have socks on, unless you have on sandals. and then That's a whole other conversation. But we have socks on. We have shoes on. Our feet, for the most part, stay pretty clean. The worst thing that's going to happen to your feet in a pair of shoes, generally, is they're going to sweat. And if you're a guy, they're going to get a little older to them, right? These are people who wore sandals on a daily basis, and they didn't walk on concrete. They, they walked on dirt roads, right? I want you to see the picture of this. This is something disgusting, right? There is stuff living between their toes, right? Dirt, balls of dirt coming off of their feet. Jesus is knelt down. God in the flesh is knelt down, and he's washing the feet of the disciples. It's an intimate moment. And when he gets through washing the disciples' feet, listen, he says something to them. He gives them a new commandment. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Here it is. Love each other. Just as I loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Look, he said, look, here's the new command. Don't miss it. I want you to go and love one another. And as you do life together, and you do things that show love toward one another, look, that's intimacy. As you do life together... As you live in an intimate relationship with one another, you're going to prove to the world that you are my disciples. 
Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, when you have powerful worship services, the world is going to know that you are my disciples. He didn't even say, when you have a powerful prayer life, the world is going to know that you are my disciples. He did not say, when people stand up on platforms and they teach great sermons or they they teach great lessons, that the world is going to know that you guys are my disciples. He didn't say, when you give enough. He simply said, look, I want you to hear me. When you live in a life, when you live your life in a way that you choose to love one another, that's intimacy, the world will then know that you are my disciples. It is a command from the one who created us. It is a command from the one that leads our church. He said, look, here's how you impact your community. You live in community together and you love one another. But listen, love will always require me to be present. It will always require me to be present. In fact, one of the most powerful things that you can ever do is be present in the moment that you're in with the people you're in it with. Be present. Actually, be there. Be there. You know what it's like to be having a conversation with someone? It's natural, right? The phone pops out. And all of a sudden, you're not there. You're there physically. You're still in the room. Maybe you're still sitting on the couch. Maybe you're still at the table at the restaurant, but, but mentally you're somewhere else. Right? You've checked out. And, and we've gotten to a point where we don't think it's a big deal. Right? We'll do it. You'll be at lunch with someone, and, and I hate the ding, right? <clears throat> my phone is always on silence because I cannot stand to hear a notification because of what it does to my mind. I go, man, I wonder what that is. Right? Uh, automatically, you're like, maybe, maybe somebody commented on that cool picture I just posted of my lunch, and maybe I need to know what they're saying. Or maybe it's Erica. Right? Maybe our world is falling down around us. Maybe our apartment building collapsed and, and she needs me. And so I better check and I better see what's going on. Right? It's never, never anybody going, that's probably a pointless email. It's always something important. And so I gotta look at it and I gotta check it and there's someone important in front of me and I ignore them to pick up my phone and just to see what else is going on. But we don't think it's a big deal. But what if you did that with another form of media? What if you carry a book with you? Next time you go out to lunch with somebody, and you're about five minutes in your conversation, and you just pick up the book and you start reading. And you read for about five minutes, and then you go, hey, go ahead, man, what were you saying? Right? Let's just pick back up where we left off. But it is rude. Listen, it destroys relationships. Far beyond being rude, it destroys the intimacy that you can have with one another. It interrupts you doing life together. And so put it aside and be present in the moment that you are in. Hebrews 10 says this, This is, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. We need people in our life. And we need to be in the lives of other people. The most recent survey said that the average person on Facebook has 338 friends. At 338, most of you right now are going, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I have way more than that, right? The average Facebook user has 338 friends. The average American has two friends that they would describe as close. Two. From 338 to two. And listen, the average American, 25% of people in America say, I don't have any close friends at all. None whatsoever. We've forgotten how to build relationships. And we've forgotten how to be intimate with one another in a way that allows you to speak into my life and for me to speak into yours. And it is something that God has required of us. Look, and it is a way that you were created. You're created to do life and to do community with other people. And when that doesn't exist, when that doesn't exist, you're missing out 
on what God has created you to do and who He's created you to be. But when I have friendships and when I'm present in those moments, I'm in a position where I can serve other people. Jot this down. Living in community requires me to seek the best for others. In the early church, it had people just like we do. Some were really well off, some were struggling to get by. And the ones who were really well off would sacrifice. Listen, this isn't socialism. They, they would choose to sacrifice, so they would sell something they owned so that other people would live. Listen, they chose to live simply so that other people could simply live. And so that's going on in the early church. They're seeking the best for others. It stands in stark contrast to the selfishness that we often live out in our own life. Again, selfishness unchecked will keep you from making the difference in the lives of others. If you have selfishness in your life, then it will keep you from making the difference that God has created you to make. It keeps you from living out Hebrews 10 that we just talked about. In Acts chapter 4, <coughs> Scripture says this, it says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt what they owned was not their own, and they shared everything that they had. They didn't hold on to it, they shared it. They realized that everything they had was a gift from God. They didn't deserve any of it. And so they chose to use it. They used it so that other people could enjoy life as well. And 1 Corinthians 10 says, Don't be concerned for your own good, but be concerned for the good of others. And so the command, if you will, throughout Scripture, is that if we're going to be in community, it's going to uh, require us to kiss us consistently. Seek the best for other people. And so I'm going to choose, listen, not to hold on to everything that God has given me, but I'm going to choose to realize that it's a gift from God, and I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to say, look, God gave this to me, and He gave it to me to use. And so I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. Listen, if God has given you a a house that's 5,000 square feet, man, kudos to you. Kudos. Man, I'm glad God chose to bless you that way. But don't be selfish with it. Use it. If you're a believer, God God gave that to you for you to use. For you to use. For you to make an impact for the kingdom of God. If He's given you an abundance of finances and you have more than you need, then man, enjoy it. Scripture tells us God's given us all good things to enjoy. You go on the vacations. Do all the stuff. Buy a second home. Man, buy a vacation home. Whatever it is that you can do, but use it. Use it. God has given you that so that you can use it and be a blessing to other people and so that the gospel can continue to expand. And so we choose as believers not to live selfish lives where we hold on to everything that we own, but we choose to give it away. We choose to give it away. Look, it flies in the face of the selfie culture that we live in. Look, it's saying, look, it isn't about me. It's not about me. In preparing for this message, I read an article about a young man that had a nervous breakdown and ended up attempting suicide because he could not capture the perfect selfie. That sounds silly, doesn't it? But his world had become all about him. And he hoped that if he got the perfect shot of himself, wherever that was, if, if, if that was walking on the seashore, or if that was along the lake, or if that was eating dinner with his family, he estimated that 16 hours a day he was taking a picture of himself. 16 hours a day. Again, I use these huge stats so that some of you that post daily selfies feel better about yourself. So, so he used it. 16 hours. His arm was probably stuck like this. You know what I'm talking about? Like he, but he never could get the perfect one. He never got enough lights. And his life had begun to become all about him and about the response that other people had for him. And he missed out on the fact that we truly enjoy life when we're serving other people. 
And when we serve other people, we realize that there's a God who loves us. There's a God that gave us all that in the first place. And He gave it to us to start with. He can give it to us again. And so I do that. I choose to live my life seeking the best for others. And when I surround myself with other believers who are doing the same thing, I'm encouraged to worship. Because living in a community will always lead me to live a life of worship. I began to worship. The verse in Acts said that they worship daily. Sometimes we find it hard to get here once a week, but it said daily they went to the temple courts and they were living out their faith. And they were doing the things that were required of them to walk and have a relationship with one another and with the person of Jesus. So they would go and they would worship. It says they would also hang out in one another's homes. And so they would worship at the temple and then they would come and, and they would live out what Jesus had taught when he was washing the disciples' feet and they would share a meal together. <clears throat> and at the end of that meal, they would share the Lord's Supper as a reminder that, listen, we're a community because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me. And they did this on a daily basis. And what they began to do, listen, was not just attend worship services, but they began to live lives of worship. Jot this down. We worship whatever we give top priority in our life. Whatever is number one in your life, that, that's what you worship. But I want you to know this. You, you may come in today and you may not believe in God, or maybe you're struggling and, and you're trying to work through your beliefs and what you actually think. That's perfectly okay. I want you to know this, though, is you were created to worship and you do. You worship something. There is something in your life that has top priority. And that very well could be yourself. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're constantly thinking about you and every decision you make is about yourself. Maybe all of your thoughts and the majority of your time you spend thinking about yourself and how you can get ahead and how life can be better for you. But each and every one of us, we worship something. Right? It, it could be your kid's success. Maybe you came in today and your life is all about making sure that your child is successful at whatever hobby it is that they've chosen to do for this period of life. If that's the number one priority in your life, that is what you worship. That's what you worship, whatever is number one. Maybe building wealth is, is your top priority. That every decision that you make is dependent on how can I get more? How can I attain more? How can I make it to the next level? If that's what consumes your thoughts, then that is what you're worshiping. We worship whatever takes first place in our life. And God was pretty clear in Exodus when He gave the Ten Commandments. And He said, you must not have any other God but Me. You can't worship anything else. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, he said, I want you to know right off the bat, right here at the beginning, I want you to know that if you're going to follow me, if you belong to me, then there's not room for another God in your life. I'm it. I take the top spot. I'm the one that deserves your worship, and he's the one that desires our worship. And so the early church lived it out. They were consistent in their corporate worship. Listen, it led them to live lives of worship on a daily basis. Acts 20 says, on the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Look, that's why we meet on Sunday. And Paul was preaching to them. And since he was leaving the next day, <clears throat> he kept talking until midnight. Now I'm about to wrap it up. Look, we're not going to be here until midnight. And so you guys can be grateful for that. But it is the example of the early church. Even long after what we read at the beginning of Acts, the church is continuing to meet together on a daily basis because that is how you build relationship and that is what God has called us to do. He's called us to gather together and to worship on a daily basis. And we worship something. Right? You may worship it 
when you get up in the morning? Whatever you're thinking about, what is it? What, what do you think about as soon as you get up in the morning? What is it that when you allow yourself to actually daydream that, that you're thinking about? What consumes your thoughts and your energy? That is what you're worshiping. I want you to know this this morning, that Jesus is the only one who can handle the weight of your worship. He's the only one that can handle the weight of your worship. Everything else will crumble under the weight. Look, if you worship your kids, I'm going to tell you this, you're going to ruin your relationship with them. Look, if your life is all about your kids, I'm going to let you know you're putting pressure on them that they cannot bear. They can't do it. They can't hold the weight of that. And at some point, it's going to crumble. Right? They're, they're going to let you down. If you worship the relationship that you're in as a husband or as a wife, I'm going to let you know that at some point, that, that relationship is going to crumble because it can't hold that weight. Your husband isn't meant to make you happy and your wife isn't meant to make you happy. That's not why you, you, you decided to get married. Look, you can't do it. They're not responsible for you. You're not responsible for them. They can't live under that weight. They're not meant to be the one that you worship. God alone is meant to be the one that you worship. If you worship wealth, i got some bad news. The stock market is going to go down one day. Right? It's going to happen. It's going to crash at some point. It's going to happen. If you worship America and everything about you is patriotism and everything is about America, listen, at some point, America will crumble and it will cease to exist. Every nation in the history of mankind has a life cycle. It has a begin and it has an end. And at some point, America will too. And if you worship America, at some point, you're going to be let down. The only thing that can handle the weight of your worship is the person of Jesus. That's it. He's the only one that can handle the weight of that. But He will never let you down, and there is absolutely nothing that He cannot handle. And so if you're going to worship, and you are, then the only one worthy of your worship is the person of Jesus, and He is the only one who can handle that weight to start with. And the believers knew that. In Acts chapter 2, it said, in another version, it said, all who believed were together, listen, and they had all things in common. The first time I read that verse, I was 18 years old. I remember reading through it and thinking there's no way that over 3,000 people can have the same thing in common. It's absolutely no way. There's a couple hundred of us in, in this room right now, and I guarantee you we don't all have the same thing in common. All I have to do is mention two football teams, and the vision happens in the room, right? right? Just right off the bat, because some of us love God in Alabama, and some of us like Auburn, right? So, you see it? Did you feel it? Did you feel it right there? The vision... Right? There's no way that 3,000 people gathered together on a daily basis and they had everything in common. And so I began to read through it and I began to think through it and I began to pray through it. And the early church lived this out. I want you to know how they had everything in common. It's because Jesus was their everything. That's how they had everything in common. Because all of a sudden, their life wasn't about a fun sporting event. And all of a sudden, their life wasn't about gaining wealth. And it wasn't about gaining prestige. And it wasn't about having authority. And it wasn't about being the boss of a certain amount of people. And it wasn't about people in the community looking at them and being impressed. All of a sudden, their life was consumed by the person of Jesus. He was their everything. And because He was their everything, listen, they all of a sudden had everything in common. It's a picture of community the way that God desires for it to be then. It's a picture of community the way that God desires for it to be right now. That He is our everything. The psalmist put it this way. He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. I don't know if you came in today and maybe you felt like something was missing. I want you to know that that something is Jesus. That He's, he's worthy of your life. He's worthy of your worship. And the reason that we gather and have community in the first place is because of Him. 
It's because of what He's done for you, and it's because of what He's done for me, and it's because of the sacrifice that we celebrated last week and the fact that He rose from the grave that we have community in the first place. And so I want you to know He's here. He's real. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. Look, and He wants to fill that gap that you feel right now. That void. He wants to satisfy the thirst that you have where everything else that you've been chasing after has left you unwhole and left you unsatisfied, He will feel that. He'll feel it. And our life is worth pursuing Him. And our life is worth living for Him. And we gather in community, listen, because it makes us better for eternity. It makes us better for eternity. We spend our life trying to get likes by people that we don't even like. Right? We spend our life doing it. Like, oh, please, man, I hope I get 100 likes when I post this. And it has absolutely no impact on eternity whatsoever. But we have a few years to enjoy here on the earth. Just a few. If we're lucky, we'll make it into our 70s. And if we're extremely lucky, we'll make it into our 80s. And our mind is blown when people make it into their 90s and into their 100s. Right? News, news reporters show up when people turn over a hundred years. And I don't know about you, I've only lived almost 37 years now, and a hundred don't really seem like that long. It doesn't seem that long. Sixty sure doesn't seem long, right? And the average age in the, in the 70s or early 80s, certainly I don't believe I'll be ready to go at that point. Life is short, but eternity never ends. It's a hard drive that never fills up, if you will. It will go on forever and ever and ever and ever. Look, life is here. Life is here. Eternity is here, never ending. And But the decisions that we make here will affect everything that happens here. So how will you live your life? How will your short time here affect your eternity? Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for the love that, that you have for us. <clears throat> God, thank you for the passion that you have for each person in this room. God, there's not an individual sitting in any, any chair in this room that you don't love and that you didn't give your life for. Hey guys, if you remain in a state of prayer, I want to share with you just a few decisions that you might want to make today. So if you would, just leave your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe God's been speaking to you today and the decision that you need to make is to commit your life to Jesus. Maybe you came in and, and the message was fun until the end, until you heard about thirst being quenched and needs being met. And, and if you're honest with yourself right now and you go, you know what, I've been searching for something my entire life and I don't know what it is. I'm here to tell you that that something is the person and it's the person of Jesus. And He will quench your thirst. And He will fill you with all good things. If you've never began a relationship with Him, then it's the most important decision and the best decision that you'll ever make. As the Scripture tells us this, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that you messed up. You didn't live up to the standard that God had set for you. And look, you're not alone. That's you, that's me, that's any person that has ever been born, save the person of Jesus. It also tells us that the wages of that sin, the wages of messing up is death. It doesn't just mean that you're going to die, but it means that you're going to die and you're going to spend an eternity away from the God who created you and the God who loves you. But it says the gift of God is eternal life. 
through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Jesus came, and He lived a sinless life, and He paid the price for you, and He paid the price for me. And then listen, He proved He was capable of anything when He rose from the grave, and now He offers forgiveness. Look, and He offers eternal life because He has the power to do it. And if you're here today and you've never accepted the forgiveness that He offers, then that's how you begin a relationship with Him. You say a prayer similar to this. You don't have to say it word for word. and You don't have to say it out loud. This is between you and God. Say, Lord Jesus, today I realize that my life is missing You. I know I've made a mess of it. I'm a sinner. <laughs> my sin separates me from You. Lord, would You forgive me? I believe that You died, that You rose again. And I invite you to be my Lord and Savior. God, I thank for anyone who just said that prayer. And God, I thank for the change that, that you're making in their life right now. Maybe you made that decision a long time ago and, and your step today hitting to begin that relationship, but, but your step would be to commit to a community. It's not just to attend a, a Sunday service, but to say, you know what, I'm going to be a part of this church. I'm going to take part in it. I'm going to get involved in life group. I'm going to let people know who I am. I'm going to start serving on a weekly basis just to, to build relationships with others and so that other people can experience the forgiveness that I've experienced. And maybe journey is that place. Maybe you say, this is the community that I want to be a part of. Or maybe you just need to choose today to be thankful for what you have. Maybe your next step, walking out of the room this morning is not anything great, and it's not a physical decision that you need to make to do something. Maybe you just need to walk out of the room this morning going, God, thank you. Thank you for what I have. I don't have to compare it to anyone else. I know I don't deserve anything that I have. So thank you for what you've chosen to give me. I don't deserve it, and I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for it. Listen, nothing will change your life faster than gratitude. Absolutely nothing. So maybe you walk out of here this morning and you go, you know what, I'm going to choose to be thankful. When my order is messed up at the restaurant I'm about to go to, I'm going to be thankful that I actually have enough money to eat out. <laughs> Someone is serving my food. Somebody else is cooking it. I'm going to be thankful for that. Maybe you're going to be thankful that you get to go home and your house has air conditioning. Maybe you just go home and you got God, thank you. Thank you that I have running water in my house. I'm better off than 40% of the population in the world. Thank you. I don't deserve it. Thank you. And as we live in attitude of gratitude, listen, we'll begin to share openly the things that God has given us, and it will impact the community that we live in. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you that your word doesn't return void. God, you're changing lives, and you're shaping us into people who are more like you right now. We love you, thank you, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.